All right, we've been, we're starting a new series. We started last week looking at Jesus' seven I am statements that are recorded for us in the book of John. And we're going to be looking at Jesus says that I am the light of the world. I want to jump right into the word of God this morning. And if you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. And if you want to grab a Bible in the seat in front of you, you can grab that, turn to page 581. And uh, I want to look at um, just these verses 12 through 20 and see what Jesus says about himself. What we've been looking at last week and and what we're going to dig into this week is so many people, they'll, they'll have opinions about Jesus and who he is, but we want to look at what did he say about himself. And that's what I love about the Word of God, because what it records for us is what Jesus actually said about himself. Not what other people say, but what he said about himself. And then how does he authenticate what he said about himself by the way he lived his life, through his miracles, through his resurrection. That's why we can trust the Lord. And so my prayer for you is over these next couple of weeks, as we go through Jesus' I am statements, is that you will know more than just know about Jesus, that you'll actually know him. And Jesus' purpose for coming to this world was that he wants to know you personally, to remove the barrier of sin that held us captive from knowing God the Father. Jesus comes so that he can know us, have a relationship with us, change our lives, change the course of our lives, one that was headed to destruction, that one now is headed to life. And so that's my prayer for you. So as we jump into this, let's look at verse uh, verse 12. And here's the validity of Jesus' testimony. And here's what Jesus says. And, and obviously there are religious people that are listening to Jesus and, and they're, this is going to this is going to pique their curiosity about Christ because what he says here is, is that he's actually claiming to be God, that he's actually claiming to be equal with God. And so the religious, the Pharisees at the time, this would really cause some problems with them and, and what he had to say about himself. And so that's kind of the background of what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 8. And, it said, and he says this, when Jesus spoke again to the people, and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. Now the Pharisees, these are religious at the time, they challenged him and they said, here are you appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. So it's not true what you're saying. And then Jesus answered them by saying, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me in your face. Stop arguing with me. I just added that in. Verse 19. Then they asked him, who who is your father? And he says, you do not know me or my father. Jesus replied, if you knew me, you would know my father also. Here Jesus claimed to be one with the father in the perfect relationship of the Trinity. Verse 20. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. No No one at that time seized him because his time had not yet come. Lord, I just pray this morning that our hearts would be open to your word, that Jesus, we would just know, just not know just about you, but truly know you. Thank you for your word that expresses who you are, that that we can personally know the God of heaven. So I pray that you would touch every heart in this place today as we just dig into your word. And I pray that needs would be met here today, God. Thank you that your word, it's living and it's active. It's not like any other book. But we believe that it's the word of God that's given to us 
that we might know you and know you personally. So just bless our time together, and we thank you for this time, the sacred time that we have to study your word together. And we ask these things in your son's precious name. And everybody said, I believe probably one of the most exciting World Series was last year. Incredible. I don't know if you guys, in, in fact, watched the World Series. I think only, only another World Series that even comes closer to that is the 1986 New York Mets. I'm a Mets fan, so I'm going to have to throw that one in there, the Miracle Mets. Um, what I loved about this past uh, World Series is there was so much drama that went into this World Series. Um, you know, you had Chicago and you had Cleveland. And um, it, it just, it came down to the wire. There's so much ups and downs. You had, uh, it, was, it came down to, to the last game and they were tied three games apiece. And Cleveland hadn't won a World Series since 1948. And the Cubs hadn't won a World Series since 1908. Anyone here remember that World Series from 1908, right? Okay, Ruth, put your hand down. Okay, so um, uh, that, that was a long time ago, right? That was a long time ago. And so here you had the Cubs. They were up 2-0, and then the Indians won the next three games. Eventually, the Cubs would win, uh, would win the next two games, going to game seven into the 10th inning, and the Cubs won 8-7. It was just an incredible finish to a World Series. Very exciting. Now, so it comes down to this last game, and, and I'm, I'm, it's late at night. I'm, I'm going to bed, and I thought the Cubs had it all wrapped up. And what happened was, was Cleveland scored three runs in the eighth inning to tie the game. And so what happens is I was going to bed, and I happened to look at the mistake I made was to look at my phone because I just wanted to see the score and to see if the Cubs actually won. And then I noticed, oh, my goodness, Cleveland has just tied the game. So, of course, I get up and I want to watch the rest of it because I want to see what happens. So the house is, is dark. It is, it is pitch dark in our house. So I get up and I'm, I'm walking to the house. I'm stumbling through the house. I'm trying to get to the television set to watch um, the last couple, see who wins this thing. And I notice Wesley is coming down the steps. And the only thing he has is his phone and just the light of his phone walking down the steps. So I go, I'm going to play a joke on Wesley. So I'm standing there in the dark as Wesley's walking down. And I didn't turn the TV on yet. And I'm just standing there in the dark. And I want him to actually run into me. I just want him to be scared. So he's got his phone. And all of a sudden, he, he looks and he kind of sees this silhouette, right? And he's like, he's like, Dad? And I just, I go, Wesley! And I jumped out and it just scared. And I think he tinkled himself a little bit, but I don't know what happened. After that. It was just something bad happened. And, uh, and so we, had, we ended up watching the, the last part of the World Series and, and the Cubs won, which was, which was just a, a, great, a great ending. Now, what's interesting about the dark, and, and this, you know, what's interesting about the dark is that, um, we're afraid of the dark. I mean, we're afraid of the dark. How, you know, how many of you actually sleep with the nightlight? You still sleep with the nightlight? Because you can get up and you can, <laughs> nobody's admitting it. I know some of you've got nightlights. Yeah, because you get up and you stumble, you can't see anything and you, you, you don't know what, what's around the corner. You don't, it, dark, it causes us to be afraid. And as we look at this statement about Jesus, here's what Jesus describes about himself, that he is the light, that he's come to expose the darkness. And we see physical darkness, but I don't think what we realize, and many people don't realize that we, that we live in a world that is very spiritually dark. And in a world that's very spiritually evil. And when you look at darkness, it's very synonymous with evil. And Jesus has come to expose 
the darkness and the evil and to shine the truth of God's word and who Jesus is upon that darkness. And this is why he came. And so what, what Jesus is expressing here in this statement, he's saying, listen, I am the light of the world. I've come to expose that which is dark. And those that follow me will no longer walk in darkness. So Jesus comes to literally expose darkness. And so what darkness is, is, is just this. All all's darkness is, this darkness is the absence of light. Darkness is defined as evil or wickedness. And so what Jesus does, and what he means to say here, is he says, listen, I've come as the light of the world to expose this evil and this wickedness. Light exposes darkness. Jesus came to expose sin, not just to expose sin, but to do something about it. Isn't it great when somebody points out something wrong with your life? How many know that we've got a lot of flaws in our life, right? And, and one of the things that, I, that as a pastor that I try to always remember in my life, that if I have a critique of something or I want something to change, I always try to think in my own self, I, I need to have two or three answers on how to fix that. Because how many know everybody can come with complaints, Right? Everybody's got an opinion, right? We all got opinion. We all have complaints. And it's easy just to bombard people with complaints and this has to change and this has to change. And I try to remind myself, am I part of the solution or just part of the problem? And so Jesus could have easily come and just said, here's what's wrong with everybody, right? Easily come. The world is evil. You're all going to hell in a handbasket. Enjoy it, right? And then leave. But Jesus didn't, didn't come just to expose the darkness, but Jesus actually came to do something about it. And what's incredible about John chapter 8 is not only what Jesus said about himself, but what the, what, the, what the verses say before that. If you look at the beginning of John chapter 8, there is this incredible story about a woman who was caught in adultery. This story is all about Jesus exposing darkness. The darkness of man's Heart. And, and what I love about this story is you've got these religious people who are acting as the light or acting as the truth, and they want to come and they want to try to trap Jesus. So what they do is they, they, they plan up this whole scheme where they find this woman who is caught in the act of adultery, and they're going to bring her before Jesus, and they're going to say, okay, Jesus, what are you going to do about this? We, we caught this woman. Um, we caught her in adultery. And so what they do is they come, and they bring this woman, and they put her at Jesus' feet, and they say that the law of Moses said that we should stone her. Now you're all figuring, okay, now I know I got the stone, Okay. It's not used to throw at me if the sermon is bad, okay? So just leave them with, it's going to make sense at the end of the sermon. That's why I gave every one of you stones. And I worked really hard to get these stones, by the way. I had to do it before the snowstorm came. So I worked very hard to get everybody's stones this morning. And so what happens is they bring her and they're saying, hey, they all have their stones. And they're saying, here's what the law of Moses says. That said, if a woman's caught, in the, or someone's caught in the act of adultery, um, the law says that they should be stoned to death. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to go against God's word? So they're thinking, they're rubbing their hands together, and they're thinking, man, we really have 
Jesus cornered. We're going to make a mockery out of Jesus. We're going to expose him for who he truly is. And then no one will follow him. And his word is not true. His word is not truth. And so they bring this woman, they put him at his feet. And at this point, Jesus does something. The story tells us. And what he does is he, he bends down and he begins to write in the sand. He begins to write in the dirt. And then he stands up and he says, you without any sin, be the first to cast the first stone. And then he bends down again in the sand and he starts uh, writing again. And then all of a sudden, these, these men who were gathered around there, ready to kill this woman, ready to stone this woman, all of a sudden, one by one, the story tells us that they drop what they're doing. They drop their stones and then they leave the oldest to the youngest. They begin to walk away from that scenario. And then Jesus turns around and does this fascinating thing. He turns around and the woman that's at his feet, he looks at her and he says, I want you to look around. At this point, I don't know if the woman knows that her accusers have left. She's just down there. She's probably humiliated. She's sobbing. She's, she's hurting. She's embarrassed because her sin is there. She doesn't know if she's going to lose her life or not. And all of a sudden, Jesus says to the woman, he says, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? And I say to you that I don't condemn you either. Now go leave your life of sin. Now, here's what's interesting about this story. Everything these men said were true. Everything they said was true. From what the law of Moses said to the woman being caught in the act of adultery. She didn't have Salino and Barnes. She didn't have William Matar to help her. She had no representation. Here's the thing I want you to understand. She was guilty and she was all alone. Completely guilty in her sins and she knew it. And so what she does is she is at the complete mercy of God. Complete mercy. She wasn't trying to justify her act. She didn't say these men are liars. She didn't say anything. She just was at the complete mercy of God, at the complete mercy of Jesus. So here these so-called religious men acted as the light. They were using the law to trap and try to expose Jesus. And, and in fact, they could care less about the woman. She was a pawn for their evil, dirty schemes. That's all she was. She was just a pawn. And so what Jesus does as the light is expose them and their motives and their heart. All of a sudden, the table is switched. All of a sudden, the table is turned. All of a sudden, the light that they were trying to shine on Jesus and this woman is all of a sudden turned and it is shown on them and their evil hearts. Isn't that interesting? And so what happens for this woman is she has nothing to hide and she's at the complete mercy of Jesus. And so what does Jesus do? He turns it around and he exposes the heart of the men who brought them there. Now, I believe what he wrote in the sand has everything to do for the reason why these men walked away. And here's my reasoning. Very interesting study behind the words to write down. When Jesus knelt down and wrote these words down, it literally means this. It means to write down a record against. It, it, it's most likely that Jesus was writing down their record 
of sin. So he gets down and he knows these men. He says, blah, blah, blah. And these men are looking down going, ooh, how does he know my life? Uh-oh, rot row. And so what happens is their sins are being exposed. He's turning the tables and shining the light on their heart. And so they thought that they were going to expose Jesus by exposing this woman, but the opposite thing happened. Their sins were exposed. And so what the, the thing it is, is these men didn't think that their sins needed to be exposed. And what is interesting here is the words that Jesus uses in verse 7. He says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And in the Greek language, the words there, without sin, it, it just doesn't simply mean without sin, but it also means without even wanting to sin. Wait a minute here. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. What are you saying, Pastor? Here's where we go wrong in our lives. Can I be dead honest with every single one, including myself? As Christians, here's where we go wrong. We can fall into this trap as Christians, as sin managers. What do I mean by that? We can fall into this trap that's saying, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this, I don't watch that, I don't listen to that, I don't drink that, I don't do that, I don't do any of these wrong things that the world would label as wrong. And we think that we're real good because we're not doing certain things. Now, we shouldn't be doing those certain things that could cause us to stumble and lead to sin. But what I'm saying is we can take comfort in our sin management by looking at our lives and comparing ourselves to others by saying, I'm not like them. I'm not like the world. I'm not like them who goes out and parties on whatever certain day, whether it's St. Patrick's Day or whatever. I'm not like them. I don't do those things. But wait a minute. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. It's not just simply sin management, but what Jesus says to them in the original language, in the Greek language, he was saying to them, not even without even wanting to sin. It's not just sin management. It's not that I don't do this and I don't do the other. It's also about the heart and what's going on inside. It's like this. Let me explain it this way. I hope this makes more sense. It's like this. Let, let, me, let me see if this, if this hits a chord with any of you. Um, we may say this. We may not get vocally angry or mad or, or blow our stack and just lose control. You may not even be cursing on the outside. But in the inside, the words are there. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. See, what happens is we may get to the point where we say, you know what? Um, I, I may, people may think that because I'm under control and I don't use certain words and, and I, maybe I, I, I don't blow my stack or whatever. But what Jesus is saying is it's not just that you don't blow your stack. It's, it's what's going on in your heart. And what can happen in our heart is we may not say it, but we're, we feel it inside. And we may be condemning somebody in our heart. We may not say it, and we may put on a good front, and other me people may think we're holier than thou, but what's going on in the heart? Jesus, wait, wait, what is the, in listen, what is the intention of your heart? What Jesus exposed in these men were the intentions of their heart. Because on the outside, you may have could have looked at their life and say, hey, they're following the law. 
Somebody give me an amen, because this is good preaching right here. Unless it's just sticking hard to your hearts, because this is good stuff. Because what they did is they used the law to hide behind the motives of their true intentions. Whew. Man, that's good preaching right there. Man, that's good. Because here's what we do. If we're not careful, we could become very self-righteous in our motives. And we say, well, I got the Bible behind me. But yet Jesus says, but I know your heart. And I know your motives. And they're not pure. They're only to hurt and condemn other people. And that's what these men's motives were. It was to hurt and condemn and to try to bring down other people without trying to help them. But they had the word of God behind them. But their motives weren't correct. They were using it the way God does not want it to be used. And so you may not say something judgmental about somebody with words. But what's going on in your heart? See, what Jesus does is he comes to expose our darkness. And this is what Jesus exposes as the light. He exposes it for what it really is. And these men had nowhere to hide. They knew Jesus got them. And so what do they do? Are they going to argue? We're out of here. And so what they do is one by one, they drop their stones and they walk away. They walk away. Now, you still have this woman here. And so we have to realize that we're all guilty, like the arrogant men who accuse this woman. And we all have this problem to one degree or another. So here's the thing I want you to realize. It's very easy for us to see the sins of others and overlook our own. It's very easy for us to look at the sins of others and overlook our own. See, it's all about having a true perspective of ourselves. And that's what's so ironic about these men and this woman. The men actually didn't see their sin. The woman actually did. The men walked away exposed, yet not healed. They still walked away. They could have been healed. They, they could have found forgiveness at Jesus' feet, but they refused to do that because their hearts were exposed and their hearts were hardened. Yet the woman walked away healed and forgiven. The one that sinned, the one that was exposed was the one that was forgiven. People, that's good news. That's wonderful news for you and I when we feel like we're exposed and we've messed up and we've made bad choices in our lives. And Jesus says, listen, when you come to me, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to heal you. I'm not here to drive you further into your darkness and further into a dark cave. I'm here to be the light to expose your sin, not just to humiliate you. Not just to make you feel like you're no good and you can't do anything with your life now. I'm here to expose that sin that you've been walking with for so long, that you've been battling with with so long, that I'm here to expose it and to shine my light upon it so that you can find my grace and my mercy. The one person that I definitely want to talk to in heaven is this woman. Because what we don't know is what happens after. I just want to know, how did your life change? What happened? Well, what did you feel? What, you know, I just, the, you know, there's certain people that you just want to talk to in heaven. It just says, what was it like? What happened? Well, what, you know, 
Lazarus, what was it like to be raised from the dead? What was going on there? You know, you just, I hope that happens in heaven. Are you like, are you weird like me? Like you want to talk to people that, okay, I'm the only one here. Okay. But anyways, that's just me. I, I, you want to know what's going on and what happened in their certain situation. See, here's the thing I want you to realize. The problem with us is us, that we don't like to admit our guilt and that we're wrong. It's like Fonzie on Happy Days. Remember that? He would never say he's wrong. Right? He never wanted to admit that he was wrong. And that's our problem. Sometimes we don't want to admit our guilt that we're wrong. But we have to realize that God is perfect in every way. And next to God, we all fall short. And we try to categorize our sins into not so bad and not as bad as the other person's sin. And, and we all say that we're a good person and that we do good things. And that's all fine and dandy. But in comparison to God, we've all fallen short. Now, if I'm playing basketball with a bunch of three- and four-year-olds, guess what? I'm awesome. I'm the best basketball player in the world, right? I can dunk on them. I can do all this, right? I, I, I can, I, I, I'll take them to, you know, all day long. But put me in a game with NBA stars like Curry, LeBron, Westbrook, Durant. Guess what? I stink. I'm not very good. I'm not going to get a point on these guys. You see, put your good works up against God who created everything who is perfect without fault, guess what? I'm not so good, am I? And now let's put, let's put our good works up against the commandments of God. Let's put our good works. So let's, let's expose them for what they are. Because we've all lied at one time or another, right? We've all lied. And so what does that make us? That makes us liars. We've all taken things. We've taken things that really weren't our own. And you're, you're, you may be saying, well, pastor, that's not me because I've never robbed a bank. And I'm, I'm going to say, oh, yeah, because I've been in some of your homes and I've seen those living word pens that are, you've not returned. <laughs> some of you right now have three in your purse and five in your car. I drive with you guys. I see them. They're not there. And so you're a bunch of living word pen thieves. Okay, shame on you. Next week, our pen inventory is going to double. I can just tell. Right. So let's be honest. We've all lied at times, taken things that are not our own or fudged things, right? And the Bible says that makes us a liar, that makes us a thief. When we look upon something lustfully in our hearts, Jesus calls that adultery. See, doesn't that make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside? But the thing that is, it, is it should bother us. It should bother us. See, the truth is that we are sinners and this woman was a sinner and the righteous men who brought her at Jesus' feet were sinners. See, we love John 3.16, but I think we miss the verses that come after that. And John 3.19 and 22 says this. Here is the verdict, Jesus says. The verdict is this. Light has come into the world, but people love what? Darkness. Instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into what? The light. They allow their deeds to be shown for what they are. They allow their heart to be exposed so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. You see, Jesus has come to expose that very thing that we have tried to hide from him. But the good news is this, and the good news about this story 
of the woman that's caught in adultery is not only do we see her sin exposed, but what we see is the heart of God. We see how God handles this situation. And how God handles this situation is through his grace. His wonderful grace. And what we see here is we see this grace that's given upon this woman that shouldn't have received grace. She should have received death, but Jesus being God shows her grace. I can remember when I was a college student, it was my senior year, I'm driving back from my senior year from Lakeland, Florida, from Bible College, from Southeastern University. I'm driving back and, and um, I'm, I'm in my Escort GT. It's with a hot car back then, Escort GT, four-cylinder, go to zero to 60 in about 25 minutes. It's a really cool car. So I'm driving, and I'm, I, I just get over the Pennsylvania border. I'm in New York State, and back then, they didn't have the 65-mile-an-hour. It's 55 everywhere in, in New York. And so uh, I'm going 76 in a 55, and sure enough, a trooper gets me. So the, the trooper gets me, and he pulls me over, and I'm just inside of New York State, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't want a ticket. And so he pulls me over, and he says, uh, you know how fast you were going? I said, I said, no, tell me. And he goes, you're going to like 76. I said, well, my speedometer works well, so I know that works. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty. I said, yeah, I was, I, was, I was speeding. So he goes, okay, well, let me, if your license and registration checks out, he goes, I'll let you off on a warning. So I got out. I hugged him. I gave him a kiss. I said, thank you. Um, <laughs> Because I just didn't want a ticket because I'm so cheap. Those things, uh, those things I just don't want. And um, here's, here's the thing. Was I guilty? Yes. <laughs> and we all know Ruth drives the speed limit. So um, that's a really good point right there. Ruth, put your stone down, okay? I was guilty. I was guilty. Did I deserve the ticket? Thank you, Ruth. <laughs> I did. I deserved it. I was speed. I knew what the law was. I saw the posted speed limit. I knew it was 55. I was going over 70. I knew I was guilty. I deserved the ticket. I had no excuses. Did this woman that was caught in a drug, did she have any excuses? No. Was she guilty? Yes. Was I thankful? Yes. And here's the reason why I was thankful. I got something that I didn't deserve. I deserved a ticket and a penalty and marks off my license, or marks off my license, but I didn't get it. I was thankful. You see, this is how we must view God's grace towards us through his son. God's Law reveals our guilt. Catch this. This is the best thing you're going to hear all day. Ready? Listen. It's in your notes. Catch this. God's law reveals what? Our guilt and how far we've missed God's standards. And yet on the other hand, God's love reveals his what? Grace and mercy towards us. Isn't that wonderful? That's exactly what happens in this situation. As the light, Jesus reveals there's an exposure there of the sin, but he doesn't leave this woman there. He shows grace when she deserved death. Both, both, listen to me, listen to me, both God's love and God's law, both are needed to see our need for God. 
Okay, good. You got that. Both are needed. Because if you don't have God's law, then it's just this sloppy love. And if you don't have God's love, then it's just judgmental legalism that doesn't ultimately change anyone. Both are needed for us to see God. And that's what we see in the story with this woman who's brought to Jesus. So what this woman does as she's walking in darkness and they try to expose her darkness, she's now brought into the light. And as the light, Jesus comes to expose our sin, yet he doesn't leave us there. Like the woman caught in adultery, what he ends up doing is restoring her. But here's the thing I want you to look at. For those of you who are thinking, did Jesus actually let her off the hook? No, he didn't. You're thinking, well, man, was Jesus going against God's law? No, he wasn't. Here's the reason why. Jesus came to fulfill everything that was in God's law, all 613 different commands, different laws. Jesus came to fulfill. See, here's the reason why I know that Jesus didn't let her off the hook. Because what Jesus would do for this woman, very, very soon, he would die for her sin of adultery on the cross. See, Jesus knew what he would eventually do for her. So he wasn't letting her off the hook. He was actually knowing in his mind that I'm going to actually die for her sins and take that sin of adultery on my back and die to it so that she can find forgiveness. Jesus died for the sin of deception and lying that these men were under. He gave his life for our darkness so that we could be brought into the light. Okay. So, Pastor, what are we supposed to do with these stones that you've given us? I want you to take your stone. I just want you to put it in your hand. See, these stones for the men represented this. The stones represented judgment, represented resentment, bitterness, hatred, unforgiveness, stones of jumping to conclusions about people that we really don't know yet without getting the full story. Stones of filling in the gaps about people and their background. Stones of judging the world, condemning the world, putting myself on a higher standard than everybody else. Here's what Jesus says to us today. Drop your stone. And I don't know what some of you have, what, what's in your hearts today. Only, only, only God can reveal that to you. And here's, I want us to take just a sacred moment at the end here. And, and I want us to bow our hearts before the Lord and, and ask the Lord, what stone is in my heart? Is there unforgiveness for somebody in my heart that I've, I've held onto the stone. And some of you, you even got a couple stones in your pockets just in case for reserve. Just to pull out once in a while. Just to get back at people. And Jesus said, I want you to drop all those stones. Those stones are hindering you from knowing me in a complete way. Those stones are robbing you of my joy and my grace. Does that mean that people will get away with certain things? No, because sometimes we think, well, I've got to keep these stones because I've got to let people know where their place is. No, you don't. God will let them know where their place is. Your place 
is to come under the covering of God's grace. Our place as a people of God is to come under his mercy and his grace and display that to the world that so desperately needs to hear the love of Christ. God's place is the place of judgment in the world, not me. These men were dead wrong. And Jesus tells us, drop your stone. And so what we're going to do is, I'm going to pray. The worship team's going to come. And what we're going to do is, as a symbolic act, we're going to pray. And if there's something in your heart that you know, yeah, there's, I do have, I have a stone of unforgiveness for someone. Or I have a stone of I can't forgive myself in some area of my life. There's this condemnation in my heart and my life. And because I have this condemnation in my heart and my life, I display that on other people. I'm harder on other people because I'm battling with this thing in my heart. And Jesus says, I want you to drop that stone. And so what we're going to do is as we sing this song in closing, you're going to take your stone and you're going to pray and we're going to ask God, what is that thing in our heart? And we're going to come and we're going to lay these stones on the altar. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. What what is the altar? We talk about that. And some of you may not have come from a tradition where you talk about the altar. Here's what the altar is. The altar is symbolic of the Old Testament where sacrifices were brought. They were brought before the Lord so that they give something to the Lord. There was a sacrifice made because of their sin. And the blood of that sacrifice, through the offering of the priest, would cover their sins or atone their sin. The altar was a very special place because this was the place of forgiveness. And so symbolically, what we say in the church is, the front of the church is, is the altar symbolically. This is where we lay those things down, where we say, God, you need to take them. I want to come under the precious sacrifice of Jesus Christ so that my sins are forgiven. And so what we want to do is, is we take our stones. We want to lay them at the altar and just say, God, take it away. This is a symbolic act upon you saying, God, I need you to do this in my heart. See, here's the thing. Sometimes it's good to do some physical act to spark something of faith in our hearts. Because I could just let all you guys leave and then we go about our day and you eat your pot roast and you forget all about the sermon, right? But when you do, when you make a move and you do something by faith, you tend to remember it more. And I don't want you to forget putting your stone at the altar and what that thing is. Because what God's going to do is he's going to keep reminding you all week. Because when you go into your pocket to pull out that stone when someone cuts you off, you say, God, I laid that stone at the altar. I don't want to take that hatred and that bitterness back in my heart. If this stone represents somebody that you've not offered forgiveness to, something's going to happen this week or next week where a situation's going to come up and that person's going to come to mind and you're going to want to say something and you're going to say, God, I laid that stone at the altar. I don't want to take it back up again because I know it's only going to hurt me. God, give me your grace and your mercy in this situation so I can experience you in a deeper way. This is a sacred moment between you and the Lord. I've got my stones that I need to lay down. And you do too. So let's do it as a church and allow Jesus to do something miraculous in your heart. So I want you to bow your hearts with me. Hold that stone in your hand. 
Some of you, your hearts are so wrapped around that unforgiveness and that hatred and that bitterness. It just, when you hold your stone, you're holding it so hard in your hand. It's, it's hard to even pry out of your hands because it's so ingrained in your life. And Jesus is telling you today to let go of it and allow my mercy and my grace to heal your soul today. And so, Lord, we come before you today. God, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would speak to every heart here today. God, what stones are we holding on to? Is it, is it bitterness? Is it unforgiveness? Is it hatred? Is it condemnation from the past that we just can't get over? Whatever it is. Jesus, I pray that you would bring forgiveness to each and every heart here today as we let go of these things, as we drop our stones, bring healing to every single heart here today. Let your mercy and your grace flow to every heart here today as we symbolically lay this stone at the altar and we give it to you and we ask for your forgiveness. Thank you for what the altar symbolizes a sacrifice that's given to you in order for us to be forgiven. And thank you, the greatest sacrifice that was ever given was your son, Jesus, who was perfect in every way. So we want to come under the healing power of Jesus today. So we come to you and we lay this stone as a symbolic act at your feet, Jesus. Thank you for what's going to happen after that. Your healing, your forgiveness, your grace, and your mercy. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, we ask these things.